Welcome to Travels Through Time, the podcast made in partnership with Ace Cultural Tours. Hello there, it's Peter. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. As you long-term listeners will know, at the end of every episode we ask our guests to nominate a memento to take back with them from their chosen year. Over time, this question has prompted some entertaining and poignant answers. Craig Brown chose Paul McCartney's handwritten lyrics for yesterday. Jane Rogoiska picked a Christmas decoration that was made in a Starbolesque prison camp in 1940. In more distant times, Dermot McCulloch decided to bring Mark Smeaton's keyboard back from 1536, while Gary Shaw fancied Tutankhamun's walking stick from 1335 BC. All of these and so many more, are examples of material, tangible histories. It's a kind of history that people have always found powerful, and in this episode we're going to look more closely at the power of objects to inspire and provoke the human mind. To do that, we're going to turn our attention to Australia and the magical music of the Gregorian Brothers. Now, you've almost certainly heard some of the Gregorian Brothers music already, as we've been using one of their tracks at the beginning of our episodes for the past few months. But let me tell you a little bit more. Slava and Leonard Gregorian are both hugely talented guitarists, and together, as the Gregorian Brothers, they've established themselves as one of Australia's foremost musical acts. A few years ago, the National Museum of Australia in Canberra invited Slava and Leonard to begin an unusual commission. They were to choose particular objects from the museum's collections and use them as prompts for new musical compositions. We're going to be talking about the resulting album of songs, which is called This Is Us, in just a moment, and I can promise you a little bit of music as well. So today's episode is a topsy-turvy one. Rather than one year and three scenes, I've asked Slava and Leonard to pick three objects and tell us all about them. So here from the ABC Recording Studios in Sydney are the Gregorian Brothers on this special episode of Travels Through Time. Slava and Leonard Gregorian, it's a real pleasure to be talking to you both today. I have to say this is our longest distance ever episode, so everyone, um, please be very forgiving if we have any disasters, but um, you're ten and a half thousand miles away from me at the moment. It's It's spring for you, it's autumn for me, it's day for you, it's night for me. You've got guitars and luckily... For our listeners, I haven't. So there's a few differences, but let's um, see how we go. Of course, our listeners will have heard from you before because you've supplied us with some beautiful introductory music, uh, which has been playing over the last few months. I thought it'd be really good, though, if you could just introduce yourselves and talk very briefly about your background as musicians. I'm Slava Grigorian, and I'm Leonard Grigorian. (laughs) We've been playing together for... For a, a long time, since since Lenny was about four years old when he picked up a guitar for the first time, we have musical parents. Both both of our parents are musicians. Dad's a violinist. Mum uh, plays viola, um, and they they grew up in Kazakhstan in the former Soviet Union, uh, which is where where I was born. The family immigrated to to Australia in in 1980. Lenny was born in in Melbourne five years later. And music's always always been been a part of our domestic environment, 
and uh, you know playing, being involved with music has, has just been a, a, a very very natural part of part of our lives since since we were kids. Well, let's get to this is us, which is the album which we're going to kind of be talking about today. You're going to be playing some music from it as well. Can you explain what the concept behind this album is and how it came about, please? Well, the, the way that it came about, it was actually very, very random and unexpected. Uh, Slav and I, we had a, a performance in Adelaide, actually at the, the museum. What was it museum? At the, at the South Australian Museum. At the South Australian Museum. And the, uh, the director of the uh, uh, National Museum of Australia was there and he heard us play and afterwards we you know we, we we met and he was a very lovely lovely man and um he had this idea to um basically he asked would you like to come to the museum and uh you know just have have a bit of a tour and, and see if anything uh you know takes your liking and if you find any kind of inspiration at, at the museum and um we of course we said we said yes that sounds that sounds amazing but you know from from that point on i think it it was a few years before we actually sort of really knew what we were what we were going to do and i guess sort of that and and through that time you know the the concept of um i guess finding what what it means to be australian that was sort of the you know the thing that we we really thought we wanted to write about and of course that's from our own point of view but um you know the the museum's such an incredible place they've got over 250,000 objects there and each one tells a, a different story and um it was it was quite a quite a process filtering through and getting to the uh, the final 18 that we chose in the end mm, i have to say australian history is so fascinating and i always think of it having these two kind of driving dimensions. The first being that it's an incredibly modern country. In some senses, modern Australia is less than 250 years old and um, it's still got this malleable identity which is which is changing as the decades go by. On the other hand, it's got this really, really deep history. We can go back 50,000 years um, that we know there's been continual um, presence of the Aboriginal and Torres Islander Strait people in Australia. Was this something that you'd thought about um, growing up? Did you have this sense of historical awareness before you started on um, on the project? I'm sure you did, because it must be so present in, in Australian society. Uh, absolutely. Um, even in my kind of, uh, you know, primary school years, I, I clearly remember amazing stories from the dream time that we were we, you know, we read through it at school, and this, you know, there was a, a an incredible sense of awe and and you know depth of time that was sort of natural. And I remember feeling that this this has just existed for forever, and uh, you know, it's wonderful that it's it's becoming more and more ingrained into into our culture and the the importance of this 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 awareness is so deep you know I, I wish I wish we got to learn more of it as as we were growing up but it, but but it was certainly something that I think most most Australians think about all the time but that's a really interesting point that you make just there being at school hearing about the dream time stories because I've spoken to people of um an older generation who said this it just wasn't there at all it was almost like there was a line drawn in the sand in 1788 mm. and mm. Um, things started then there's a, there's definitely yeah. a sense of changing perspectives shifting perspectives in australia's society I, th I think with within the last 20 years or so absolutely 
especially it's really you know i mean that's at school i think we both we both studied all of that stuff but it was you know for me it sort of felt like it was this sort of it was a strange thing that it was you know it was obviously part of who we are but but it didn't i i didn't get a, as much of a sense of it for, for some reason but yeah in the last 20 years it's you know there's before any kind of event there's a an acknowledgement of a welcome to country and 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 things of, of that nature and I just actually, I didn't even realize that they changed the national anthem, the words. Yeah, I think it was last year. It was, for, it was Australians all let us rejoice, for we are young and free, to for we are one and free. So that was, I, I, I didn't know that until actually a few days ago, probably because of the World Cup. Actually. <laughs> well, listen, um, you, you've already mentioned that there's 18 tracks on This Is Us, all, all of them inspired by a particular object. I came across this um, album when I came across you when you were playing at our local concert venue in uh, in West London, the Royal Albert Hall. Not that I get to go there very often, um, but you were playing there <laughs> in August and it's a, it's a real beautiful piece of work. I have to say, I think you play with real freedom. There are moments of great intensity in the album, lots of deft expression too. From my outsider's point of view, I get the sense that you were really creatively stimulated by the project. And if I can put it in such simple terms, that you were kind of enjoying yourselves a lot in in the music. Is that right? Is that a nice way of, of summarizing um, your experience of, of composing and playing the pieces? Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, for us, this is a an unusual project for, for, for many reasons. And, and one being that we you know, over the years, we we both have composed music and, and original composition has always been uh, a small part of our kind of uh, albums and, and um, concerts. But for us to do a, a whole album of original music, that's definitely uh, something very, very new for us. And then to perform, you know, a concert of just original music as well. So that, that, that's been a lot of fun. Um, but but also yeah, this for us, we were, the timing of things was really lucky. This this really was our COVID project, you know, when the borders borders shut down for the yeah for everything was unknown. Yeah, we you know we we had something to do. I mean, we both have young kids, so that we we, we definitely had something to do anyway. <laughs> but um, but but this was yeah, such a, an amazing, I guess, a, a gift. We we were we were busy and um you know i guess the, also the interesting thing is that um slav and i we we live in different cities and he's in adelaide and i'm in sydney and that was also you know we we weren't expecting to be composing music together from a distance like that um you know we thought we we'd be doing it together before before the pandemic hit um but that was also something that we we worked with and it, it, in the, in the end it, it worked really well we would you know, we sort of split the objects up in the beginning and worked separately on things and then we'd send sound files across and then we'd kind of add to to whatever the other, the whatever Slav had sent to me, I would, would you know, maybe make a few changes and things. And so it was, it was very, very organic. Organic, but quite, in many ways, it's a really unusual thing because it was written at this really weird time in human history where we were all kind of locked up, essentially. And yeah. and um, and you're, you're composing at the same time, so that that is very interesting. But I want to just have one last word for the objects themselves, because you said that you know are all of these objects inside the National Museum of Australia today? If people want to go and see them, are they on display? Is that where they would go? The um, the the main part of the exhibition is always evolving and changing. 
So some of the objects would definitely be on display right now. Um, <laughs> others, I think, may have gone back to the warehouse. So they do come in and out mm. of focus. They've got an amazing uh, website where, where you know, everything is archived beautifully and um, listeners can certainly, you know, have, have access to all, all, you know, all the information about all of the objects um, that's, that's there and available for, for the public, which is, which is so wonderful. Well, I, as I said, um, I've really been enjoying the album. There's some great songs on there. There's Donald Bradman's Bat, which we're not going to deal with today, but I thought it deserved <laughs> a mention. Um, and Southern Sky, which is a really uplifting piece, I think is a really nice one, which is inspired by a refractor telescope. So that's maybe just going to give people a sense of the range of objects that you're interacting with here. But what we're going to do today is a little bit different for our listeners, because usually we pick one year and we go through that year in, in three scenes. But because we have this album before us, I thought I'd uh, challenge you in a different way to pick three of the objects. And um, you've kindly agreed to play as the compositions that were inspired by them. So... Let's go to the first object, which is the, the, the one in a way will be familiar to our listeners already because this is um, the music they've heard a part of. It's from a, a track called Love Token. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the object that inspired that song? Yeah, so the, this this was inspired by the um, museum's collection, quite extensive collection of, of convict love tokens. I think they've got 314 of them in their collection. And they were basically they were coins that uh, the convicts left behind um, with their family and, and, and loved ones and they, they would engrave messages and notes and it could be anything, even little pictures and things like that. And all of these were, were very moving so many amazing, amazing stories and um, just very, yeah, very, very touching, touching poems and, and things like that. But there was there was one that that really stuck out for us. And I guess you know, with with the the timing of everything and all the the, the world events that were occurring at that time, we we knew it it had to to be this one. Um, and the, the message on this particular token was, "Dear brother, when this you see, remember me when I'm far away." And that was yeah, as, as Slav mentioned before, we've you know we've been touring together pretty much non-stop for the last 20 or so years and um you know for for all that to to stop so suddenly um you know it was obviously for everybody every, we, were, we were all in the same situation but it was particularly uh, strange for us to to not be able to to play together and, and to see each other um so yeah we, we we knew straight away that this this was the token that we wanted to to write about yeah it's it's really interesting they are kind of like copper coins aren't they little if if people are going to imagine them in in their mind's eye yeah little little copper coins with inscriptions and you mentioned this kind of covid separation that a lot of us went through and i was thinking as i was looking at the coins just that even though we went through that separation it was a temporary thing for those people who were leaving for the far side of the world there was something really permanent and that was all that was that was left of yes. them really. And to have a whole personality, a whole physical being reduced into such a tiny object really charges it with power, doesn't the, the, it? The, this was, these were the only kind of, you know, tokens of any kind that they could leave behind with, with their loved ones. And as you, as you're saying, um, they're, they're getting on this ship with, without any idea of, you know, 
if and when, but you know, most likely never, never seeing seeing loved ones again. And you'd say there's more than three hundred of these in the collection. In their collection, yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's 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 quite extensive. So the, the museum have had other musicians contribute to you know maybe like a live performance or something, and and there have been a few that that we know that actually have have selected these I th- well, tokens. I, th- I as think well. there was actually one one project, uh, an Australian singer, wonderful singer called Katie Noonan, uh, developed a project that was based only on the on the tokens on the on the convict love tokens. Connecting, connecting the, the the poetry on uh, you know and poignancy, you know the, the the thread that obviously runs through all of these incredible messages. Well, I think at this point it might be time for a little bit of music, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, um, because this is the composition that I said people might be familiar with, but they won't have heard it in its entirety. It's a beautiful piece, and there's a wonderful story behind it. So, I'll be quiet for a moment. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. That's such a beautiful piece of music and a real pleasure to listen to it today. Can I ask a little bit about composition? Because she said that all of these pieces, or at least the majority of them, came during the COVID pandemic. Where does a song like that come from? Does it begin with a pattern, a little, I, I suppose, a little riff or something? Do you remember in that particular instance anything about the genesis of the song? Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of it actually. I think that, that that was that was one that I sort of started up on. I had this instrument in my hands, which is a eight-string tenor ukulele. For anyone that's that's interested and, and maybe noticed that it wasn't an ex- exactly a, a guitar that they just heard. <laughs> um, it's very mandolin-like. You know, it's a, a little bit higher. Uh, tuned than a, than a guitar, um, and uh, it, it that that sort of the, the 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 fact that it has two two sounds per string is a is quite a unique sound, um, and I think that that's that sort of was the, the genesis of this piece. I guess it's sort of um, it's got such a a wonderful texture this instrument, and it's you know a composition. It, it comes, it's impossible to know where it comes from, and it's always it's always different. Um, in this case, I can't exactly remember, you know, how, how I started up with this particular pattern. Um, but both of us, I know we, we both had the, the images in front of us the whole time, you know, trying to, trying to get some kind of inspiration out of a, an object that's not moving. <laughs> yeah, and, and we, you know, like the, the, the approach is actually quite simplistic from our perspective. It's very cinematic. Um, and and so the the kind of the the, the story that there's a there's a story or a narrative that that um, we're locking onto, mm. and 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 uh, you know imagining that we're we're seeing this unfold, and and the music is there to you know to complement that. In in this piece, I can I can clearly hear the sort of the vastness of the of the the journey ahead. The final words of farewell. Then also, you know, in the middle section, there's that sort of, you know, the the acknowledgement of of a new life that that is is starting and and reflecting upon on the, on the past as well. So it's it's, I think all of all of these pieces have that that kind of you know, to, for us anyway, <laughs> have that sort of connection it's to a, a story within a story. Yeah. <laughs> The Gregorian Brothers' thoughtful responses to items in the collection of the National Museum of Australia demonstrate the power of objects to connect us to people and events across boundaries of time and place. We're prompted to think about how collections are put together and by whom, what the objects represent and where they've travelled. If you're interested in questions like this, why not join a trip with our sponsors, Ace Cultural Tours? They were recently voted as the best small company for arts and culture holidays at the British Travel Awards, and their tours take in some of the best art collections around the world and explore the stories of their creators. From the superlative collection of German expressionist art at Leicester Museum, to the 38 Renoirs on display at the Clark Art Institute in Massachusetts. ACE Tours delve into public and private collections in the company of expert art historians and lecturers. To find out more, visit the ACE website at www.aceculturaltours.co.uk. 
well, for me, it's a fascinating glimpse into, into your mind. But let's move to the second object, which really is a story within a story. The, the song is called Stolen, and it comes from an object which is in itself very challenging. And um, could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes. Uh, well, the, the, the object is a, a very ordinary-looking gate to a, to a country property. You know, a, a simple sort of mesh, a, a very kind of cheap, ordinary-looking gate with, uh, with the words boys, boys' home on the, on the front of it. And uh, this, this belonged to the uh, Kinchella Aboriginal Boys' Training Home, which is up, what was up near, um, near Kempsey in, in northern New South Wales. Between 1924 and, and 1970, over 450 Aboriginal boys were, were taken uh, away from, from their families and, and sent there for retraining, which is what happened for, for all of those decades all across Australia. In the media, uh, all of the reporting about, about this was incredibly positive, about you know, how, how this was such a, a wonderful... Wonderful opportunity and experience for for, for everyone, um, but um, you know, in this case, it was it was the the exact opposite. It was a very horrific and terrifying place. Mm. This relates, of course, to a formal piece of government policy, doesn't it? Which, for mm. many years in the twentieth century, was um, being enacted, and as as you say, it leaves a terrible legacy and to us today it seems quite shocking that you would take children away from their parents not only from their families but from their culture which I suppose in a different way you know there's a very different story of your own but the, there is a kind of Australian story with migration which maybe does tally in a tiny way here not to the not to the extent of this by any means and they shouldn't be conflated but um I suppose, Slava, I should ask you, because you were born in Kazakhstan, you came across, and so you've moved between cultures, moved between spaces. Um, mm. Did that maybe instinctively draw you to an object like this? That's a, a, a really good question that I'd, I've, <laughs> I haven't been asked before, it, certainly not in relation to, to this object. I, I Honestly, I don't think so. For me personally... And, and I say this because, you know, mum and dad were very encouraging of, of not forgetting our culture, specifically language. Um, and, you know, it, as, a, as a contrast, I mean, I, I certainly, we, we know a lot, of, a lot of families that, um, that, that found themselves here and wanted to, uh, wanted to get away from that as much as possible. And so the, the, the assimilation into, into what, was was deemed to be normal Australian culture was was encouraged by by many families, mm. but we 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 didn't really we didn't really experience that with you know for with this object I think it was just the you know we've grown up with with these stories of of the stolen generation um, and these you know people are still walking the, the the streets of our cities here in Australia right now and 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 you know they, they experience this. Was there a particular slogan written on the gate? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it just said "boys, boys, girls, boys home." Yeah, so boys home. Yeah, um, in its simplicity, it's quite sinister in a way. Did you manage to, or were you driven to, 
to speak to anyone who attended places like this or was it enough and have the object before you? Well, I mean, I think those stories have been told so much uh, for, for us here anyway. Um, we, we've just um, recently uh, said goodbye to the, the, the great Archie Roach, who's a, one, of the, one of the great songwriters in Australian history, and he, he, he talked about this in, and his experience uh, in, in all, of his, all of his songs. And um, a lot of us have, have grown up with those, with those words and those feelings very, you know, centered in our in our in our understanding of of what's what transpired in the last last couple of centuries and and with this obviously being a, a, a such a big big part of the 20th century mm. um we we didn't we didn't talk to to anyone uh, specifically other than the 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 staff at the at the museum and you know curators who who have made it their kind of life's work um uh dealing with with this history yeah strikes me as well that even though an object like this is going to have a is always going to have a sinister power and especially when you know the history there's something at the moment about you know fences gates walls we in the UK have a you know kind of ongoing discussion about migrants crossing the channel you know this idea of one mm -hmm. space being for one person and another space being for another person this idea of borderlands that when you move across space everything changes. Um, I think these are ideas which are incredibly powerful today. And one thing, when you've described the song that you've written and inspired by this, um, you used the word optimism, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, do you want to say a word about that? Well, I mean, it, it, despite the, 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 the depth of darkness in this, in this piece and the, and the history, the, there's a, there is this sense of, uh, I guess, coming to terms with, with this part of our history, both from, from, from white Australian perspective and from our First Nations people and um, the fact that we are acknowledging and 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 moving moving forward, uh, you know, one of the images that we keep on thinking about is the the surviving, some of the surviving boys making their way to to the site where this home belong belonging in, and and you know they've had years of I guess you know years of life away from from this home, and they've had their own families, and they've 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 you know obviously some of them have have coped better better than others, but the the sense of Growing and moving, moving ahead, and 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 the fact that there's you know most of well all all of the countries behind the fact that this should never have happened and and it should never ever happen again anywhere in the world. That's where the 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 optimistic element in 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 this happens. They they found this gate lying in lying in a in a field and and took it with them and and gave it gave it to the museum in Canberra and and here we are talking about and one this. and one of the other striking things about this is just how recent this history is. Are we talking about the seventies or something when this came to an end, this period? This this yeah, and this this particular home closed its doors in the in the nineteen in nineteen seventy. Mm. So it's, it was that is very 40 years or something that was open? How long was it? Um so nineteen twenty four to nineteen seventy okay, forty six yeah. years yeah. this this was operational. Mm. This particular place. Mm. And interestingly, as well, it was of well similar to kind of today, I guess the whole kind of media sort of portrayal of of this place was was very positive. Of course, at at the time, you know, it was sort of 
it was definitely seen as a a great place for for everybody to to be and you know to spend time in and obviously that was all very wrong <laughs> absolutely well can i ask you to play maybe for a moment then of course um, the, the track is called stolen and this is the piece inspired by that gate
thank you very much indeed. Such a treat to be sitting here listening to these songs and thinking about the stories that inspired them. Can I ask you a musical question? We'll we'll leave the history to one side for a moment because we'll have people listening to this thinking, um, what instruments are they using? How do they um, move through these pieces? And having watched you, I, I I think it's it's interesting to see how dexterous you can be mid-song sometimes when um, there's a change of guitar or there's a change of mood. Could you talk a little bit about the instruments you like to use and how much you like to, I suppose, chop and change? Let's keep it simple like that. <laughs> mm. The the guitars that we just played are, are two standard, traditionally built classical guitars. So they're... they're kind of made in the same way that they were 120 years ago. Um, these are made by uh, a maker just outside of Adelaide called Jim Redgate. They're made from non-Australian timbers. And I say this because, uh, you know, we're, we're really lucky in Australia to have a lot of wonderful uh, luthiers and, um, and, and they're starting to use Australian timbers more and more. And, you know, we hope to one day also jump, jump on that bandwagon. Uh, but Jim, at, at this stage, he's, he's been using um, timbers from, from overseas. You know, he's been kind of at the, at the forefront of Australian guitar building for um, well over 30 years now. And we're, we're very lucky to, to have him around. You know, guitars don't age very well. They're not like violins or, or cellos. You know, if you play them hard, they, they, they get played out. <laughs> There are some amazing historical instruments that are around in the world and they still sound fabulous because they've been, you know, stored in the right way and not played <laughs> too much. So it's, it's great to have that as a reference point. But, it, but in general, guitars don't, don't age as well as, well as other, other string instruments. Mm. The, these are basically what we've always played. That's, that's been our kind of go-to instrument. But being a quite a, a quite a new school of music again compared to other you know classical instruments like 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 violins for example the the kind of there's there's a lot of flexibility it's a bit of a blank canvas so people are experimenting with different instruments i, I play a baritone guitar often which is a, a much bigger deeper sounding instrument lenny as he pointed out before has got the the tenor eight string ukulele in his hands on this particular album we also play uh, use a 12 string guitar which is more synonymous with you know with bands like crosby stills and nash <laughs> than uh, than classical music um and 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 there's even a, an electric guitar on on quite a few tracks and and you know i guess that 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 shows the sort of the the young age of this instrument the fact that the, the electric guitar is only really you know what is it 80 90 years old and, yeah. and it's changed so mm. much in that time mm. and still still evolving it's very interesting about guitars aging i didn't know that so it's something for me to learn. But you, I know in concerts you go through the whole 18 songs. Does that require, you know, a lot of, a lot of different instruments or is it generally just what I see in front of me now? We, we've got, so we've got um, uh, another two guitars that we haven't got with us today, which is the electric and the 12 string. Mm. And so on, on this project I play the electric on a, on a few pieces and Lenny plays the the 12 string on on a few as well so you know within that it's we've got all the all the different combinations good <laughs> um, so it's hard, hard work traveling with with all this stuff now yeah on stage it's okay. easy but but traveling with with all those guitars without a uh, i'm planning on doing we're going to do a, a, a duo ukulele album at some point and that, that'll 
We'll save on the travel. Yeah, you, can, you can even go on our budget airline Ryanair with ukuleles without having to pay extra baggage fees, I'm sure. So there you that's, go. Something, yeah, um, that's what we need. Not quite that's a justification <laughs> for a musical tour, but it's something to bear in mind, <laughs> I suppose. We should move on because I realise that um, our time is ticking, but we do have another song we want to um, get you to play in a moment. But first of all, to ask you about the object. And it's a bit of a change. It takes us... Um, a little bit further back than the last one. The song's called Fortunate Wind. And do you want to tell us a little bit about the object which inspired it, please? Yes, well, it's uh, this is the, um, the the stream anchor, the, the reserve anchor that, that um, was once attached to the investigator, um, the, the ship that Matthew Flinders was the captain of as it, as it circumnavigated its way around Australia, uh, charting, charting the coastline of, of Australia in, um, uh, back in 1803. And what happened with this particular anchor was that they, um, the, the crew was quite ill. Um, they were off the, off the coast in Western Australia and they had um, uh, decided to, to rest and recover for a few days. And so they... they dropped anchors, all of their anchors, uh, at a reef off the Western Australian coast and um, a, a storm came out, blew up out of out of nowhere and um, in order to save the ship, they, they cut the anchors off. They continued on, the, on their voyage successfully and made it, made it back to, to port. So we, we, we've always felt that this, was, this had to be a, a, a happy, optimistic-sounding yeah. piece, hence the, hence the name. But uh, obviously the, the circumstances... Um, leading to the the cutting of this would have been incredibly incredibly traumatic for them at the time. As a historian of the um, 18th century, I quite like the fact you've called this um, a fortunate wind, and 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 I suppose in earlier times it would have been called a providential wind because this wind would have been sent along by some divine spirit to save someone in a moment of peril. And obviously, as the Enlightenment taught taught us all that. Um, Actually, it just comes down to luck a lot of the time, which is, I suppose, um, a yeah. nice thing to think about. So a fortunate wind. Um, Australia, of course, we should point out, is so enormous that it took a long time for people to actually work out how big it was and to go all the way around the outside of it. It kind of revealed itself bit by bit. And I think Flinders was the first one to go around. I'm I'm saying this as much for um, our non-Australian listeners who will... It'd be saying, mm. of course, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but yeah. So so it's, it is an interesting piece of history. I think we'd best go to the song, you know, because I've got so many questions I could ask you. But um, I I haven't read much about about this time myself, but I, I do know that uh, Baudin, the the French captain, was also there was a sort of race to to chart the coast, and and um, the, this French ship was also running running its course and sailing around australia at at the same time mm. and uh, in fact they um they they met the two ships met each other quite aggressively uh, off the south australian coast in a in a place that's now called encounter bay okay. and it was a very in in the end it was it was a, an incredibly peaceful uh passing of these of these two ships and it was it was flinders that that, that finished finished the journey Oof. But it, you know, in in terms of this this piece, it was actually um, the, there's a there's a side story that that we have to talk about a, a little bit because we when when researching this, we didn't really know anything about Flinders and his uh, musical 
passion. And, you know, he was a, a, a very accomplished flautist and, and always travelled with his with his instrument and apparently uh, reading through um, excerpts from, from his diaries, apparently a lot of a lot of the crew were were handpicked <laughs> Um, because of their their instrumental prowess as well, and so there was there was there was a lot of music making on board when when the weather was kind. Um, and he he talks about specific pieces and composers in his diaries, things that he's reflecting on. And there's one uh, there's one composer called Ignaz Pleyel, who was an Austrian composer, and at, at the time he was as as popular as as Mozart. So. A bit of a, a bit of a superstar in the in the world of music, and Flinders talks about his um, uh, sonatinas originally for for violin and and keyboard, and he even talks about running through some of these on his way to Australia uh, when he stopped in in Mauritius. He um, he played them with the, the the daughter of the governor of Mauritius accompanying him. <laughs> Uh, playing through some of these sonatinas by Playel, and we 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 took that as a as a cue to to steal sixteen bars from Playel's sonatina <laughs> number two for for violin, which we we can only assume that that he played <laughs> with the with the daughter of the of the governor of Mauritius on his way to Australia. So we we yeah we took a, an excerpt and, and messed around with it a whole lot. I'm very glad you told me that story because it was very interesting. <laughs> Indeed. It just adds an extra, a lovely dimension to this history, doesn't it? Because not only have you got people bobbing around in a ship um, in uncharted waters waiting for the wind to change or whatever, but they, you know, they've got their instruments, which they're probably treasuring and um, playing, I suppose, in a way, they'd be very um, connected to particular con- compositions, moments of European music, which they've taken along, you know, to the far side of the world with them. And that must have been a great form of solace for them as well, which is, mm. I suppose it's like we, we have this experience yes. ourselves, don't we? When you hear a favourite piece of music, it doesn't matter where you are. It's kind of quite comforting. So there's something that we can think about with Flinders and music. So... It's a nice idea. Yeah, no, we 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 were we were very very taken by by that idea mm. in particular. Okay, well, please do play.
Well, that's got a really great groove, that song. I have to say, I've got, I've got this picture of um, Flinders leaning against the quarter deck, staring into the southern <laughs> sky, um, tapping his foot away. That was a beautiful performance. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this enormously. Um, I'm going to stop talking to historians and just get you to play to me each week. I think that yeah. we can arrange that. Thank you very much. Did you enjoy that? Very much. Very absolutely. Much, yeah. That was fantastic. Okay, good. Um, listen. We've done things in a in a slightly in a backwards way um, in this episode. We usually at the end ask people to pick an object that they would like to take back after their tour through time. Of course, we've had the objects already. Um, so with the inversion, let's continue. Um, I've got to ask you, and I'm going to ask you briefly. I'm not going to make you set off on a on a tour, but if you could travel back through time. Leonard and Slava, I'll ask you um, separately, is there any particular year that you would like to go and visit? For me personally, I think I I would love to spend a bit of time absorbing what was happening in the early 1930s, maybe, maybe 19, 1932. I love reading you know, reading reading literature from 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 that era, and and you know, musically, what was happening between between the wars, um, the kind of the changing pace of everything, Stravinsky, Bartok, jazz, and and obviously in in terms of you know, politics, the the incredible sort of energy and, and upheaval that was going on. Everywhere it must have been a just a, an incredible incredible time to 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 have seen some of some of these changes. And it would have been obviously incredibly uh, horrendous for so so many people, you know, living in in many different parts of the world. Our, um, our grandmother, who's who's still with us, was born in 1927 and had a had a very difficult childhood in 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 Russia and the and the Ukraine and uh, you know um, famines and all all of that ridiculous sort of energy that must have been happening um mm. I'd, I'd love to i'd love to experience maybe for a for a day or two it's a brilliant choice yeah lots happening lots to explore how about you leonard um it's, it's a sort of a similar sim- similar path i guess but uh, one of my biggest musical inspirations and a you know a real, a real hero of mine was a, a guy called pat Matheny, and uh he was born in 1954 <laughs> And I thought it'd be good to be at his birth. No, <laughs> um, no. I mean that. that yeah, he, he was that that particular time um, for for music. You know, there, there was so. I mean, not not the fifties so much, but I guess you know, kind of growing up in that time and 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 what led to music that was being produced by people like Pat Metheny and um, Ralph Tanner and Bill Frizzell. Some of the, these might not be names that are familiar to, to everybody, but, you know, in terms of like the, in the, the jazz world, these are really huge figures and, and, and basically, you know, they, they took jazz into a very different direction and they fused, you know, classical music with it and, and, and rock and, and world music. And, and, and basically I think it was, it was such an interesting time where people were really experimenting so much with um, with different different styles, there was there was sort of there was not so much fear, I think, involved anymore with with trying to play things in a, in a particular way. And you know, I guess that was you know through the emergence of rock and you know guys like Hendrix and all that sort of stuff. It was all kind of happening through throughout that period. And 
Yeah, I think that would have been some, would have been you know some, quite incredible to, to to spend a while absorbing all of that all of that different energy. Yeah, good energy, very good energy, and um, I'm full of curiosity about some of the names that you've mentioned. But listen, for today, I mean that's it. But we've had a real treat. I've enjoyed this, as I said, very much indeed. I think projects like yours um, are always to be encouraged because it's so good to see how different people respond to a particular object. These things live in museums and we're often mm. used to to seeing them in in that context, in the in the cabinet, the glass cabinet, or maybe occasionally someone might take it out and hold it up in the air. But to hear someone play a song about it takes it to a different level. It's a whole new level of interpretation. And I think you have done that magnificently well on the album. So thank you very much to the both of you for taking the time to come on Travels Through Time. Thanks for talking to us. Thank it's you so a, much. It's been a, a great pleasure. That was me, Peter Moore, talking to Slava and Leonard Gregorian. I urge you all to go and check out the full series of fascinating songs on This Is Us. There really are so many gems to discover. Thanks to everyone at ABC in Sydney for helping us out with this recording. It's very much appreciated. There's more about this episode, of course, on our website at tttpodcast.com. But from me, for now, that's it. Thank you, as ever, very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>